Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, it's good to uh, have both of you brothers with us. We've got a special guest for this episode. I've been really excited about this. We have Kyle Swanson with us. And um, if you don't know Kyle Swanson, you need to know Kyle Swanson. He's a good brother, faithful brother, and uh, has a lot of wisdom, which he's going to share with us today. But brother, why don't you tell us, uh, just for those who are listening who aren't familiar with you, a little bit about where you're ministering, a little bit about your ministry, and then we'll jump into our topic for the day from that. Sure. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. And it's an honor uh, to be with you. Eki and I go way back to seminary, uh, wow. you know, trudging through some theology classes <laughs> and and uh, preaching classes together. And that was a wonderful time. Nathaniel, I've gotten to know you a little bit more recently through social media and through conferences and things, but it's it's a joy to know you guys and to know your faithfulness and your heart for for the for the lost. Uh, your your love for Christ and your commitment to the truth. So thank you for having me on. Um, as uh, as you heard, my name is Kyle Swanson. I uh, am a pastor on staff at Redeemer Bible Church in Gilbert, Arizona, and uh, we're a church that uh, was a, a replant revitalization that started about seven eight years ago. Uh, the Lord uh, graciously brought along John Benzinger, who is our lead pastor, uh, who took a church from 200 and preached it uh, all the way down to 95. And uh, through faithful, hard gospel preaching. And uh, that's when the church called him and said, we want you to be our pastor because you speak the truth. Mm -hmm. And so um, through his kind of leadership and ministry, he built the team around him. Uh, There are a couple of us on the executive team that are helping to build ministries and oversee uh, various things. There's 10 pastors on staff here, uh, and we've grown to about 2,200 in attendance on the weekend. Uh, we have a small building, so we do five services. We do two on Saturday and three on Sunday. So it is a busy, busy ministry week and calendar. Uh, but it's wonderful seeing when I look at the all events calendar and just seeing the Lord filling the calendar, this little campus that's too small for us with with wonderful classes and events and ministries. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, one of the ministries that we have is called Redeeming Truth. And so we host a Redeeming Truth podcast uh, so I would invite you to check that podcast out. Very similar, if you're an audience of this podcast, content that is uh, attempting, the name comes from the idea of of redeeming the idea of, of truth that the world is co-opting uh, and making it biblical again. So I know that that's hopefully something close to your hearts. Uh, so uh, I'm married. My wife's name is Jackie. And within two weeks or so, we should have our first child, little girl. Oh, coming. congratulations, man. Thanks. We're really excited about that. Awesome. Well, I really uh, owe you a debt of gratitude, although you may not remember the conversation, but at Shepherd's, I don't know, a year or two ago, um, for, I don't know, a good five or 10 minutes, you unceasingly and unrelentingly talked to me about how great the D-Men program is at Masters. Um, and that kind of started my brain thinking. So no, I'm in that program largely because of of you, I hope they paid you well for that advertising. But uh, <laughs> well, I'll say I'll say this: once a when an admissions counselor at TMS, always an admissions counselor at TMS. So I I did have the privilege of serving in that office for a few years 
while I was in doing my MDiv. Now I did not do my DMIN at Masters. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I went to Southern because they had a counseling focus that I wanted to pursue. But uh, the DMIN, as you said, it was built by a dear friend, Dr. Steve Lawson, and. Uh, in watching it turn from what it was into what it is, uh, just a, a, a wonderful program. And I know every, I, I know several guys who've gone through it now and who are have greatly benefited not only from the instruction, but from the brotherhood that is formed from being students uh, in that program. So I, I hope it's a blessing to you. Yeah, no, it's it's been really great so far. Well, brothers, uh, we have a, a bit of a weighty topic today. I, I think it's something that maybe as Western Christians, we don't think about very deeply. Um, in, in fact, I, I would argue probably most Christians don't think about this topic very deeply. And it's because the topic is uh, the ways in which our culture itself shapes us and forms us in ways that are yeah. antithetical to the gospel. So it, it, it's not that Christians don't desire to think about this so much. I think it's because we don't realize how much we're impacted by our own culture. And so uh, when I look at other cultures, it's far easier for me to kind of pick out those things that are anti-biblical. Um, it, but it's much harder when I start thinking about my own culture, right? Because I'm I'm so ingrained in it. I, I've grown up in it. It's I'm inundated by it. Um, and so I think it takes a little bit of uh, a little bit of digging deep, and I think uh, as believers mature, this becomes an area that's uh, more desired to to look at, right? Because we're refining our our sanctification, we're refining our walk in holiness, and this is one of those areas that I think we can we can do that in. Um, so maybe let's just start off by I put a a, a tweet out there a couple of days ago just to see what other how other people responded and it was basically um in what ways do you believe the culture has negatively impacted you right um so i tried to make it a very personal question um i thought i've just picked five things from the various responses i got um and and they'll fit we talked earlier uh, just before we started recording about category so kyle you you a little bit of the thought before uh, the conversation, and you you come up with several categories. I think. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about those? Because these, uh, every single one of these that I have for us to kind of talk about today, fits actually in one of those mm-hmm. categories you came up with. Yeah. So, in just thinking through kind of big picture, you know, as you said, Nathaniel, it's 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 often a passive experience getting. Uh, seduced by the world and how we're influenced by the world around us. And in fact, I think scripture speaks to that of being actively pursuing and pushing for and fighting against that influence. Uh, but I, I kind of just in thinking through some broad categories, uh, identity formation and politics, uh, ethics and morals, uh, the entertainment and amusement sphere, and then family and culture. And and these influences, these kind of kind of meta structures over us as we think through those things, we we can't think of them as amoral. We have to think of them as uh, uh, tools that are actively being used to shape our worldview and to shape our worship. And so, you know, just you know, Eki mentioned this before we started recording as well. Some one of the major events that just happened recently of this school shooting in Nashville where we have Christians who were murdered by a trans activist. And so the question is, do we make it a battle of identity Mm. or do we make it a battle of 
uh, deceit versus truth, you know, and how do we frame this conversation? Because the world is automatically going to frame it by uh, the nature of the shooter's identity. In fact, we see that in the news, you know, that this person was oppressed. They were rejected by their parents. They hated going to the school they shot up. And so the question is, are we going to allow that to dictate the conversation or are we going to uh, think biblically about identity, like what Hebrew or uh, like what Ephesians two says that sinners are dead in their trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then, are we going to see Christians as uh, if anyone is in Christ? Second Corinthians five, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. And we, if we understand things in those paradigms rather than what the world says. Yeah. You find meaning and value in your identity. We find our uh, our source and our hope of life in our identity because that's what the Bible says. Yeah, Amen. It, you know, it it you make a really good point there. Um, nothing is really amoral, right? We live in a spiritual world. Um, everything we see physically has some sort of uh, behind that spiritual reality reality to it. I mean, everything either it falls into one or two camps. I, either it seeks to attack the glory and goodness of God, um, or it promotes the glory and goodness of God. Right? We have a real enemy. You mentioned Ephesians. You get down to chapter six, right? Uh, it starts talking about spiritual warfare, and the reality is that we are at war, um, and the war is not with people; it's with the forces of evil, right? Uh, the spiritual mm-hmm. darkness, and so it, it's a really yeah. good point and i think uh I, the first one i want to bring up is is really in that in in this category here um the tulips and wine I, i'm not necessarily promoting uh any, anyone's page um but mm-hmm. tulips and wine wrote a really good one said the elevation of psychology and therapy i know both of you will be hungry <laughs> to talk about this one yeah. um using therapy as a crutch and mm-hmm. and i think this is especially for our generation more than any other, although it has a long history, right? Where it's been creeping into society. Um, yeah. How, how is, does modern psychology, psychiatry, uh, therapeutic approaches, how do you think that affects the Christian, maybe to the degree that they're unaware? There are some things that are blatantly obvious, I think, to, um, to, to the mature Christian, but what are maybe some of those more subtle ways that we get caught up in modern psychology and ideology uh, that we need to be on guard against that, that maybe we, we don't see as easily. Eki, you want me to jump in here? Yeah. I'm, I was waiting I'm, for I'm, you to. I'm champing at the bit here. So <laughs> go, go for it. Go for yeah, it. I would, I would see that uh, falling very easily into the, that kind of meta category of ethics and morals and how we view, uh, you know, this system that again is not amoral. Uh, psychology has a fundamentally different fa- uh, foundational worldview of mankind and of sin uh, than the biblical worldview. Uh, psychology and psychiatry in general would express that man is basically good and his problems are basically external. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Bible expressly says that man is dead in his trespasses and sins and his, his heart is desperately wicked. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean that there's no truth to be identified inside of those systems. It just yeah. means that the truth is neutered from saving truth, uh, where scripture would identify the heart problems and offer the gospel of salvation. Uh, the other system would offer uh, a comfort in the flesh, 
and a desire to simply maybe um, fix yourself based on your own circumstances and build a world of comfort of your own design. And so when we talk about uh, psychiatry, again, this is not an objective scientific um, um, uh, expression of, 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 of soul care. This is a uh, a worldview that is driven by money and driven by a desire for control in many, many ways. And I, if you don't believe me, read Thomas Zaz. He was a secular psychologist who who kind of pulled the curtain back on the the money making uh, schemes that are built into this stuff. So that's an ethical issue. And then as far as morals go, when we redefine our morals to be, you don't really have a sin problem or a heart problem, but you have a a condition. You have a mental condition, a maybe even an ailment that needs drugs in order to kind of minimize the effects. And so we've we've the, the conversation has been co-opted from uh, now we're not denying the the existence of organic causes in in yeah. certain people's uh, conditions that that the, any kind of organic cause is knowable, traceable, and seeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, when we when we make that um, kind of non sequitur jump from organic cause to mental cause, there is no connection there. That's a that's an artificial connection that the soft sciences have made in the study of humanity. And so if we follow that co-opted belief system, then we're going to get taken away from a, a biblical view of humanity, which is fallen human beings in need of salvation and who are suffering from a wicked heart and sin. Um, and and we're going to get told that those things are uh, externally caused. There, there, there are circumstances and our relationships and our our, uh, our 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 upbringing have imposed those onto us rather than the source of of sin coming from our heart. Yeah, I think this all this all comes down to worldview, right? So, um, how how is our worldview informed? Through what lens do we interpret things uh, around us? And psychology, we live in such a deeply psychologized age that people don't even realize. That they're that they're believing um, in the tenets of psychology and the chemical of theory imbalance is a great example, right? I mean, how many people talk about a chemical imbalance? Chemical imbalance. They, they don't even know what it is they're referring to. They don't even know how it was that, that um, it came up, and they don't even realize that those theories have been thoroughly debunked, right? But mm. people talk about it like it's it's just truth. And the thing about science, and I always point this out: there's an empirical side to science, and then there's an interpretive side to science. That there, it's unavoidable. You get empirical data, and then now you come up with interpretations to try to to try to explain that empirical data. And it's the interpretation side that's going to be informed by your, your worldview. And mm-hmm. so that's very true with psychology and, and psychiatry. I just got into so, someone tweeted back at me. I, I had mentioned that um, you know man in his nature um, wants to excuse away his own sinful actions and, and thoughts. I, that, that's been going on since the garden, right? That that was there from the very beginning. And we're seeing that play out now in, in terms of how this shooting is being portrayed and, uh, and and the narratives that they're that they're wanting to take on. And and I, I just mentioned that, you know what, one of the ways that modern our modern culture today um, seeks to excuse these sinful actions, and behaviors of man is by just calling it a mental illness. I mean, every time everywhere in the nation around the world where there are social ills, but especially in this nation, everywhere where there's any kind of social ills, the word mental illness is thrown everywhere. You know, and especially you look at uh, cities where you have a rampant use of drug abuse, um, you have shootings, you have um, you have thefts, um, all kinds of violent crimes, 
and and people start talking about mental illness. No, it's not mental illness. It's sin, right? But that's mm-hmm. um, but sin is the thing that we don't want to tackle. And even so many churches today, and you guys know this, um, they often preach a gospel that does not address sin, doesn't talk about the reality of sin, does not talk about. In fact, many people just they they chafe and and they. They just um, coil up in, in just horror at, at the idea of penal substitutionary atonement, right? So it's the it's the worldview of our age. And, and I remember even watching, um, there was a TV series that my wife and I were watching. And, you know, it was, it was kind of an entertaining series. But we started to realize as we were watching the series that, that there's, um, there's an influence of therapists in this TV series where the therapists, without saying it directly, but they're really being portrayed as the high priests. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you want real answers, you get it through a therapist. If, if you want to unlock your potential, you get it through a therapist. If you want to figure out, you know, what's causing you to respond in certain ways, you, you go to a therapist. But here's the mm-hmm. thing, and, and this is what I tell people all the time that really um, try to push a, a lot of weight and value behind psychology and psychiatry. And I agree with you, Kyle. I mean, there are real organic causes for mental issues. So dementia, Alzheimer's. Okay, that's dementia, a breakdown of the neurological system with the aging process and all that. So there are very real issues that are caused caused by physical uh, issues, but there is still oftentimes a spiritual component to it. And my issue with the psychological and the psychiatric field is that if there is a spiritual issue behind what's causing someone to be anxious or depressed or worried or angry or whatever it may be, the secular field has zero ability to assess it, zero. And in mm-hmm. fact, not only do they have zero ability to diagnose and correctly assess it, but they're going to misdiagnose it and they're going to put drugs on top of it and in all kinds of therapeutic approaches that have no bearing on what the real issue is. And mm-hmm. when you look at the field of psychology, talk to any psychologist, anyone who studied psychology, there are about five or six different major schools of thinking that just dominate the psychological field. And they all share what Kyle just mentioned in common. None of them recognize the Bible as any kind of authority. None of them recognize sin. None of them recognize the depravity of man. None of them recognize the need for repentance, the, the need to go to Jesus Christ. They all believe the problems are external. And that's the that's the thinking of this age, that every problem I have is something external. And it's not something that I take responsibility for. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting if you go back and you read uh, the, the guys who are responsible for modern psychology, it was born with the premise that man did not have a, a spiritual part to him. So the, mm-hmm. the fundamental beginnings of modern day psychology started with intentionally denying any spiritual reality. And you can never come to uh, you know any kind of sustainable truth from that premise. Um, I, yeah. I want to give just one uh, example, and, and maybe you guys can talk to this, and then we'll move on to the next one. I, I just uh, I, I, let's talk about ADHD for instance. I, I want to kind of get give someone a practical example, right? Uh, ADHD, man, we are pumping children full of medications like never before. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is if you were to go onto the CDC website, you'll discover that even they acknowledge that it's not an exact science that it's totally subjective now now that's right on their website um i I think most people one way that they're influenced in society is that they don't do any research they just believe everything that comes from the quote-unquote medical field uh well if you look at a couple Mm -hmm. of the symptoms on the cdc's own website uh listen to this your child might be adhd if they often do not seem to listen when spoken to directly Mm -hmm. 
I, I mean, like, what child does not fit in that category at some times, right? Mm. And and then the scriptural reality is that we're told foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, right? Yeah. You don't have to teach a child to be disobedient. They're mm. born, right, in, knowing how to say no and uh, create a temper tantrum. And I, yeah. I mean, you have to teach children obedience. So this is what comes natural to them. O- often has trouble organizing tasks and activities. I mean, when I was a kid, I just wanted to have pine cone wars. I didn't want to organize mm-hmm. activities. You know, and you read all these things and it is often or easily distracted. I mean, that describes half the adults I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, so you look at all these subjective things, and so I think in the area of psychology, one of the ways that it's impacted believers is they've just, because we've grown up in this society, they just assume it must be true without yeah. reasoning with the scriptures, without thinking, oh, wait a minute, well, yeah, all, all little boys are easily distracted, all forget to do things all kind of talk back and oh you know what this now this makes sense of course they're born in sin this is why we have all the verses in proverbs and ephesians that talk about disciplining your children right mm-hmm. you, you want to address you know the problem issues well you, you don't throw medication at them you, you spank them in some cases right mm-hmm. um it's biblical uh, that's what it's for to instill discipline. In fact, we're told that the rod removes the foolishness from a mm. child. Um, but I think we're so deeply ingrained in this because, you know, especially our generation, we've never heard anything other than medication, medication, medication. Um, and so I think in the Christian world, we rarely ever even ask the question, is my, is this because of sin? Right. Um, I'm feeling anxious. Oh, I need medication. That's the go-to. But the Christian rarely ever thinks, well, am I feeling anxious because I'm just not trusting God about something in my life? Mm-hmm. Um, it, you mm-hmm. know, am I feeling anxious because actually I'm hiding a sin and I'm really worried someone's going to find out? You know, what are the the, the real reasons behind these things? Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think that's one way that we, we you know, the, the believer can be influenced in this area without even recognizing it, because we just don't ask the those deep questions about sin anymore. And I, I don't know, I think if it was Kyle or Eki, you, you yeah. said this earlier, but the, the reality is we don't want to deal with sin naturally. And so it is far easier yeah. when the world says, oh, here's another solution. You can blame, you can blame whatever it is on X, Y, Z. And, mm. and that's never something the Christian should do. Thoughts, comments before we move on to the next one? Yeah, the the fundamental thing that you just mentioned is the desire to not be culpable. Yeah. You know, we we want to find an excuse for why we're this way. Well, if I can tell you it's a condition, then it's not really your fault. I don't yeah. need to then confess that to the Lord, feel guilty for it, uh be made right relationally with my Lord and Savior. I can just live in it and and everyone has to kind of accept me for who I am. Mm-hmm. And for the, uh, you know, for the the purpose of this podcast, you know, thinking of ways we're influenced by the world, uh, I, I think the categories that you mentioned, Nathaniel, uh, you know, raising children, uh, ADHD, psychology, um, 
you know, uh, these things are all allowing the world to influence definitions uh, that, that the Bible clearly gives us. You know, like we we have a child who has ADHD. Uh, no, that's foolishness bound up in the heart of a child that needs to be molded and shaped. Well, I don't really want to do that. I, I I'm not committed to investing into my child that way. So I'm going to accept this again. And this is where the perniciousness of the the medical kind of arena comes in when you tie in hard empirical science and kind of tie onto it soft science. Um, is is that people accept? If I if I were to tell you, you know, I have a a, a medical diagnosis that you have cancer, and I have I have um, clinical proof of that. Okay, then that's that that weighs heavily on the person. And then if somebody else comes along and says, you know, I've clinically um, diagnosed you as depressed, and it's like, well, does that carry the same weight of diagnosis as the empirical evidence of that cancer diagnosis, right. or right. are we identifying a symptom? Right. Uh, depression is a symptom. Anxiety is a symptom. In fact, the way that we define them in our language today, the way the Bible defines anxiety, it has nothing to do with feeling. The way that the Bible defines depression, it has nothing to do with a feeling. It's a, it's a, it's a weight of reality, and anxiety is assuming the responsibility of accomplishing God ordained tasks that God has not given us to. Uh, to uh, to accomplish. So when when Paul says in Philippians two, do not be anxious about anything. He's saying, don't assume God's role. Take it upon yourself to worry, overthink, overstress, and then what's the result of that? The result of that is the feelings. If you never do these things, you'll never even have those feelings. But what happens is people get those feelings in various ways, and they want the feeling to go away. So instead of addressing the cause, I'm going to address the feelings and cover them with something else. And so the influence from the world is don't actually deal with the root issue, just cover it. We have, yeah. we, we have, we've got a drug for that. We've got alcohol yeah. for that. We've got sex for that. We've got entertainment for that. And that will help for those things. And you know what? We all kind of deal with it. So you just have to, well, that's what being human is. And we say, no, 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 there is a genuine solution to these things. When we give our hearts to the Lord, when we trust in him, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and restore us and give us a peace that passes understanding. And so I think that's the antidote for being affected in those ways. Yeah, yeah those are Amen. those are great insights. And, and I would add, um, not only, you know, do, do we not want to take responsibility for our own sin, but you kind of touched up on it, Kyle. Um, once we start to be told that, oh, it's just something that we're suffering from that we have no control over, we start to hold other people accountable for how they treat mm-hmm. us. You know, so yeah. so now it's everyone else's fault that I'm not getting the attention that I deserve, or I'm not feeling a certain way, or I'm not, uh, you know, receiving what. But basically, it's the entitlement mindset. We mm-hmm. start to become more entitled, uh, entitled in our thinking, and and that's what I think we're seeing with this horrific shooting is uh, the way the media is covering it. Um, the, the hidden message there, that's really not all that subtle if you think about it. The hidden message there as well, if this person had been treated the right way, um, she would not have done what she's doing, right? But because she's been oppressed in a certain way, she's kind of been forced in this situation to do this, um, which is absolutely ridiculous because once again, it's taking the responsibility off of the shooter and not putting it upon those who actually hold the truth. And again, going back to Romans 3, no one seeks after God, no one does good. And Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says we follow after the prince of the power of the world uh, of the air, which is Satan. So mm-hmm. we are very much anti-God in our nature, and we will um, attack the actual truth of God. I mean, I think the entire Old Testament, even the people of Israel, 
bear witness to that just just by studying um, how they continue to turn away and, and chase after false gods. We're, we're seeing it right in front of us, Romans 1 as well. So all, all of it, you know, it's it's amazing that the more we study and understand the scriptures, the more things around us make total sense. It makes complete, perfect sense biblically. Um, and, and the reality is it's a spiritual war. Um, our, our war, and you mentioned this, Nathaniel, I think at the top, our, our war is not flesh flesh and blood. It, it's it's the spiritual realm. You know, mm -hmm. it's helping people understand the realities. And in, in any case, and I always use the example of having a close one who's addicted on drugs, for instance, Every everyone who knows someone, a loved one in their family, someone close who's addicted to drugs, everyone knows that pain of trying to get that person out of that situation, right? And and you know that you can't affirm that what that person is doing is good, that that person needs a reality check. That person needs to understand that, yes, their addiction is real. And yes, it's leading them to all kinds of issues, lack of responsibility, um, lack of uh, fiscal uh, stewardship and and hurting lives around them and destroying their their own livelihood. And, and yet when it comes to spiritual matters, um, we tend to think differently. You know, but it's the same thing spiritually. That the greatest thing that anyone can receive is the ultimate spiritual reality check of knowing Jesus Christ and knowing His truth through the Word. And without that, we're we're simply lost. Yeah. Well, let me jump to the next kind of category. I think this will fit in into a, a different one um, th that you gave earlier, Kyle. Uh, another good one uh, that uh, True Sanctifies Matt put up was the cul a culture of individualism. Our society produces a culture of individualism. Now, th this is a big one when we start thinking yeah. about the body of Christ. Um, and and he so he talks about the emphasis on personal autonomy, personal freedom, personal you know choice over responsibility. It's this is kind of the 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 this is my truth, and so you know you don't have any right to speak into that sort of thing. What Kyle? What are some of the ways that you? have um have seen or or maybe even just now thinking about how our american culture produces kind of an antithetical individualism that would hinder our our understanding of what the church should be and how we relate to one another uh, as brothers and sisters in the as as the body of christ yeah, I would love to speak to that and then to the inverse of that if I can because I think the opposite is true around the world uh that in american western uh, culture, the individual identity, that kind of pioneer spirit that this is my life. You know, what was the the old, um, if you remember the, the show, Bosom Buddies, right? I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Mm -hmm. You know, go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. That's kind of the mentality that Americans yeah. want to have. And like, we can live and let live. As long as you let me do mine, yeah. I'll let you do yeah. yours. We're all Americans. We're all kind of just doing our thing. We're all looking to be successful. And what that has degraded to in its original form of, yes, we want to be individualistic in our mindset for success and for, uh, you know, building a life for ourselves and not depending on government for, um, you know, forging a home for our family. Those things are all good in that sense. But what it's degraded to is the Roman equivalent of bread and circuses. What started as a good, you know, structure of Republic, you know, built for the good of mankind became just entertain me and uh, let me do my thing, you know, and, and in America, what that's become is this battle again for identity and th this word, this idea that you can forge 
a completely unique, and in fact, you should forge a completely unique identity from anyone else around you. Fly your freak flag. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't do what you want to do. You have the right to uh, fulfill your destiny according to how you want to make it. And of course, we know that the opposite is true. No, not only are they stuck in a dead world system, following they're they're slaves to sin. Yeah. Those who are living in that mindset, Ephesians two makes that clear. As Eki said, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, they might express individual freedom, but they're actually slaves to their own passions. But then the opposite of that is true for the Christian. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he established beforehand that we might walk in them. So even as Christians, we don't have individual uh, identity autonomy. We now identify with Christ. We are in Christ. We are from Christ. We are with Christ. We serve Christ. And so we we basically trade one uh, master who is destroying us for one master who is saving us. Uh, we are, none of us are autonomous, yeah. but the rest of the world, the way it manifests is, is really through family and, and culture identity yeah. politics, where instead of individual think it's group think. And I, I think about this sometimes when we have people at our church who are having a really, a real struggle coming out of Mormonism, coming out of Roman Catholicism, coming out of Islam, cultures that tell you because you are this you must be that because you are you know um uh nepalese you must be a buddhist because you are irish you must be catholic and and so that identity is so intrinsically tied into what the culture has told them they have to be that they then reject what the bible says that each one of us will stand before the lord and give an account for our sin and give an account for our personal faith or rejection of christ and so you know it it both sides of the spectrum are 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 sinful in their mindset one is it's all about me i can live my own life i have perfect freedom and the other is no i'm bound to the culture that i've been born in the family that i've been born in you don't understand the influences that are over me and that's the world overtaking the truth of scripture in people's mind. And it can be conquered by knowing what the Bible says the reality is about the individual. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, dynamic that you pointed. And I, and I think the realization for it should be that whatever culture you're in, Satan's design and desire is to take that which is good and twist it into what's evil. So if you have a more communal type society where there's a lot of good in that they they would understand mm-hmm. the body of Christ um maybe even better than we do you, you know you get to first corinthians where it says that there are member there there are many members but one body the eye can't say to the hand i have no need of you a, a communal culture would understand that right but mm-hmm. then satan twists that to to make it mm-hmm. something it's not but in in the american church uh, we have quite the opposite and so if guys were wanting to think about okay how does our individualistic society put pressure, culture put pressure on us to be unbiblical? Um, well, some ways that would play out, and I'm sure you've both seen that, are things like, well, I don't really need the church. I can worship at home. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't really need to submit one to another, right? This is what the Bible says. I believe it. I don't need to hear your, you know, you, you say there's more to it. I don't, I don't need, well, I don't really need to submit to elders in a church. Um, I, I don't really, you know, so it's the individualistic, I think, in our culture that tends to keep us at arm's length from brothers mm-hmm. and sisters when really 
um, the biblical view is that I, you know, I desperately need you guys in, in my life. I desperately need the ones, uh, the the guys in the local body, because in reality, the the more I distance myself from the the local church and the people in the local church, the less part of the body I am, and the more closely I become the I who is saying I don't need the hand, right? Um, I, 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 do you guys see that playing out in e even some of our own circles? I I would think that this starts playing out in in maybe going being too rigid in doctrinal things where we're almost willing just to cut off the foot right in, in our own body ra rather than lovingly deal with issues and work together it's almost like well you know i i don't really need you i'll join arms as long as we agree and then if there's any issue never mind submitting one to another and never mind loving one another and never mind forgiving one another I, i'm just going to cut you off because i can do this thing on my own do, do you guys see that danger in in the church at all what should we think about that 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 kind of issue that that i think american culture uniquely promotes a, a, a negative individualism and even rebellion that maybe wow. we don't always see yeah I, I do agree with that um we have an individualism that goes against the way God created us, I believe. And this is something that I've had to come to grips with myself. Um, we are raised in this culture to think that we can be independent. We don't need anyone. We can just do things on our own and uh, and, and be completely self-sufficient, independent in, in every way. And that has crept into the church. And you know, let me give a, a little bit of an illustration just for my own personal life. Even before I was saved, I worked for over a year in Japan. Now, Japan is a dark place. Um, Christianity is not big there. People need need the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But um, what I saw in Japanese culture was that they were very community-driven. So even within the workplace, when they were making major decisions, they made it as a group. And when the decision was final, it didn't matter where anyone stood individually, whether it was for or against the final decision. After the decision was made, everyone supported that decision. Mm. And and so there, there was real benefit to that, that uh, people stayed together. Whereas you, you get, uh, you know, the book of Judges where everyone does what is right in his own eyes, right? And I, I think of the Filipino culture, very community driven. And if you were to go to um, the main capital in the Philippines, I was told this by a missionary that um, there are only three convalescent homes in the capital city of Philippines, at least at the time that this person was there. And it's all filled by expats. It's not, it's, there, there's no Filipinos there. It's all ex, expats who are there. And the message of that is that in the Filipino culture, you know, when you start to age and you need to be cared for, you're going to be cared for by your community, by by your family, which is the way that's that's the way it should be, right? That's how we as as believers should operate. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some value in convalescent homes. Sometimes that's the only option, and and there's a lot of factors that can play into that. But I, I believe that our American individualized culture has really contributed to that, and I think also that's the reason why the gospel became so popular as really just a personal relationship. You know, I think one of the greatest failures of the American evangelical movement was to preach the gospel and really just emphasize the personal relationship aspect at the expense of the body of Christ. So that's mm -hmm. why a lot of people feel they don't need the church or they think that or they have just skewed views of ecclesiology thinking that, well, well if I'm just with two or three other people, I'm with the church or if I'm out in the streets preaching to the poor, I'm with the church and all that. But the Bible doesn't say that. But it's mm. it's that's that's how the individual kind of influence of, of our culture has seeped into our thinking and has allowed us to drift towards a gospel that no longer uh, that really just kind of rejects the body of Christ 
and favors a, a personal kind of walk with Christ. And you, you guys have seen this. You know, you you run into someone who's um, and I call it caveman theology. Someone basically just locks them up in a cave and they're just reading the Bible over and over again. And they, they come out with their own systematic theology, which is completely unbalanced, um, mm. lacking um, lacking the, the real priorities that they ought to have. And they come out, they just start condemning everyone for practicing theology wrong. Um, whereas really what we're supposed to be doing, is we're supposed to be growing in the context of the body of Christ um, with gifted teachers given to the church, gifted teachers, preachers, evangelists, and all that, just as Ephesians 4.11 mentions. Mm. So I, I think... Absolutely. The Americanized culture has seeped into the church um, in that way that we're way too individualized and, and we don't focus enough on really the oneness that uh, that that is emphasized with the body of Christ. And, and just one more addition to that. Um, there, there, when we do see unity emphasized, too often it's unity against the word of God. You know, it's like the people who built the Tower of Babel. Yeah, they were united, but they were united against the will of God. And so, for instance, we see churches uniting around LGBTQ affirmation, right? We see churches uniting around uh, social justice efforts. And mm -hmm. we see Christians emphasizing to us, well, you guys are being divisive because you're not uniting with those churches. So truth and unity, we have we all agree with this. Love and truth go hand in hand. And the the unity has to be based upon the right kinds of things. But the unity also, we have to realize that we were created to be a community. Yeah, I agree. The uh, the theological differences that exist inside the faithful Big C Church of Christ, uh, the global church, uh, the theological differences that divide us at times uh, are things that we can uh, converse with each other and yeah. and and exercise. You know, the discipline of of iron sharpening iron and discipling one another and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, they should not cause us to isolate to the point of becoming uh, a hermit from every other Christian. No. Um, the, the, another, another aspect of this is the individualistic idea that uh, nobody can tell me what to do. No. And so if I'm going to be part oh, yeah. of a church body, I'm part of a family. And when we understand the structures of divine governance, that God has instituted singular headship over the universe. God is king over the universe. Christ is head over the church. Kings are head over nations. Husbands are head over their homes. And the only exception being, a, if, if all things being equal, a plurality of faithful elders over a local body of, of, of believers. And that's, I think, for the safety of the local body. But um, when a, a Christian who has an individualistic mindset uh, comes in and is, is like, well, I'm not going to submit to that. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to worship and I'm going to do kind of what I want to do here. It's mm -hmm. kind of like a disobedient child or a disobedient citizen of a nation. You know, that that's not the way that God has designed the, 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 the submissive relationship that is supposed to exist. And the, the only exception being in the local church, you can choose who you're, who you're going to submit to by choosing what church you want to go to. And so people will kind of move the dials and say, well, I'll go to a church that's a little bit easier for me no. uh, and I'll mm -hmm. submit there. Well, then you might get leadership that is not as godly or not as committed to the truth. And so now you have to submit to leadership that is not as that is not going to drive you towards Christ. Or I'm going to go to a church that does that practices church discipline, that preaches hard truth, that loves on my family, but that's going to hold 
me to a godly standard. And I'm I, the benefit of that is, yeah, I might seem more rigid and, and more, more structured, but I'm being driven to holiness and driven to Christ. But wow. that's a decision of the will to say, I am not my own. I'm not going to be an individual. I'm going to integrate into this local church family and play my role of submitting to the the leaders over me for they keep watch over my soul. So I think that's, you know. And then let me just add to that great points. And and while some may see, uh, you know, this idea of, hey, biblical preaching and teaching and holding ourselves uh, and, uh, accountable to the word of God may seem rigid. And at the same time, it's tremendously freeing. Um, because mm. when when we just trust in God's word, we don't have to we don't have to rely upon the cleverness of man. We don't have to come up with our own ideas, our own methods. We we don't have to weigh out different opinions. Um, there's tremendous freedom in knowing this is the truth, and we just mm. need to follow this truth in order to glorify God. I mean, that's I, I think for for someone who has the Holy Spirit and and a new heart, I think there is something just freeing about that to know that this is the truth that never changes, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm reminded of uh, Ephesians chapter four. In fact, I, I want to just read the first three uh, verses because it's so vital in combating um, mm. American individualism that's that's antithetical to the, the church's way of doing things. So you have Paul here, right, writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of Lord. So Paul's writing this while he's in prison for the gospel's sake, right? Implore mm. you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What does this worthy calling look like? Verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, that's a word for the American church, Mm -hmm. showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You -hmm. can't be a rugged, uh, and we see this in Alaska, you can't be the lone rugged individualist and and be faithful to that charge. You just Mm -hmm. can't do it, right? Um, and, and so while, while we don't want to take on this kind of like five mentality and we have individual, you know, responsibility uh, to be faithful, we can never separate ourselves from the body of Christ in such a way that we're no longer promoting tolerance and unity. Mm. And, and I want to tack on something and let you talk to this, Kyle, because you, you hit on it, though you didn't say it by name. When you're talking about people coming into the church and submitting to the authority of that church, that's good. It's biblical. I know as pastors, we we when we talk about this subject, we never want people to feel like we're demanding their submission. We certainly, none of us would lord that over people. We strive not to ever do that. But the reality is this is the expectation of God, is that you submit to the authority and leader in the church. And that's for the church's sake, it's for the, the the glory of God's sake. Um, but when we talk about individualist individualism and what you mentioned earlier, we're really talking about a culture that is a culture of rebellion, and it's always been here in the U.S. Um, without getting into rights or wrongs, you just think about our break from the monarchy. That's a form of rebellion. Um, and, and all along reshaping that you think about the civil wars, that's, I mean, you have rebellion that's good in some ways, but our whole culture has been inundated with just years and years of, of, of rebellion. And I think we don't always understand or think about the differences between good rebellion and bad rebellion, right? I, when we rebel against sin, we're not really rebelling against sin, we're fleeing from sin. 
right? Mm. When we commit sin, we're rebelling against God. Um, mm. When someone comes into the church and they refuse to submit to other brothers and sisters, not even mm. just the leadership, it's a form of rebellion. And mm. I think you can't detach American individualism from rebellion because I, I think they're married in our culture. Mm. Um, and so we have to be very, very cautious and very careful. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? And, and before you, you answer, sorry, let me just say that the whole Christian life is fundamentally rooted in submission, right? Mm. And so naturally, rebellion would seek to come against that. How do you see kind of those things playing out? You, you want to talk to that for a second, Kyle? Yeah, yeah. The world is going to tell you to get yours and, you know, to uh, to build for yourself as much happiness as you can. And, uh, you know, what we see, again, this is why I think it's important to understand divine governance and that structure that God put in place. Now, that doesn't mean that governance always happens in, in, in the most righteous manner that it should. Yeah. Uh, but we don't get to choose our kings. Uh, we don't get to choose our our um, uh, one. Well, you get to choose your spouse, but once you do it, that's yeah. it, right? But you get to yeah. choose what church you're going to submit to. And so, you know, we we would look at a context like a disobedient child in a household and say that child is functioning uh, in a destructive manner to their family. They're being disobedient to their parents. They need to submit. But people have this mentality in a local church that that I'm equal, either equal to the pastor in my opinion counts here and my my voice better count here. Uh, That's kind of like marching into the white house and saying, you know, you're an American, Mr. President, you're an American. So am I. So our voices are equal. And he's like, I got my finger on the button and you don't. And there, there is a, there is a, a, a vast difference in that person's authority in that scenario. And as commander in chief, we must submit to that role uh, so long as they are not dragging us into sin. Uh, and and that's, I think, another place where rebellion is healthy when it's against tyrannical, evil, yeah. wrong, destructive uh, means. And so in the local church, then, if somebody comes in and they, they've been influenced by the world's view of the church, that it's a social club, that it is a... Um, that it is a, a place that I come to contribute and that, uh, that all of us are equals. And if you're not equal, then you're being oppressed and you need to leave and find somewhere else. Mm. When in reality, the structure is, and human beings, by the way, love authority and love structure. Because think about this, when you have a great parent, when you have a great yeah. boss, you don't like, well, he's my, uh, he's a boss by nature or she is oppressing me because they're over me and I need yeah. to go and, and find a different situation where I can throw off these shackles of oppression. It's not oppression when it's done in a way that is a blessing to those who are under. And that is the entire call of pastoral ministry is to die to self, to, uh, to, you know, this is the analogy of shepherding, right? It's shepherding was hard. It was cold. It was bitter. It was ugly. It was for the lowest of the low. It was dangerous. You're out there ready. You you know, everyone's trying to kill you. Every wild animal's trying to maim you and steal your sheep. You know, so you're taking all the hits, trying to protect these innocent, you know, sheep who are in your pasture. And it's the same thing in the church. When you have a faithful group of elders and pastors who are overseeing a body, it's not my way or the highway. It's 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me show you how to do that. Let me shepherd you. Let me correct you when need be. Let us worship the Lord together. And I am going to protect you from all of the false teaching and all of those worldly influences that are trying to creep their way across our threshold. And so when that's the mindset, that is a blessing for church members to say, that guy really cares about us. And he's putting his life on the line to make sure that we are healthy spiritually and are not thrown into an attack that we can't uh, overcome ourselves, that the body is protecting us and he's leading that. And so that's a humongous blessing when people kind of can undo that, that cultural mindset of any kind of leadership is oppression or any kind of leadership is by nature going to become that person exercising a power play over you. When we understand that Christ is at play in the hearts of those elders, then that is a wonderful scenario to be in. Yeah, God is a God of order. I think you look throughout the Bible, you see authority there. Um, going back to the days of Moses, Moses was a prophet. They were to listen to him. Moses appointed 70 elders who would help him judge. When they went to the promised land and they had all the Levitical priests in the temple and, and even before then with the tabernacle structure, there was authority there with the priesthood. So there was always authority structures there. And going back to the start of the church from the day of Pentecost, you had the apostles and then you had the prophets uh, and Paul even says, Ephesians 2.20, that the foundation of the church was the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Mm -hmm. um, 1 Peter 5, uh, Peter calls people to um, submit to their elders. Um, the pastors, and, and when we talk about pastors, same word in the Greek as shepherds. You know, the idea is that we are caring for the flock, we are watching over the flock, that the sheep, uh, you know, are, are called to follow us as long as, you know, just like what Paul says, uh, imitate me as long as I imitate Christ. Right, so we um, we recognize that our ultimate authority is Jesus Christ Himself, and when we see our leaders calling us to sin against God, well, that's when we rebel. That's and it's really not rebellion; it's ultimately obedience to the one who has the highest authority. And mm -hmm. this is also why those who are put into charge um, also are, you know, a lot more is uh, expected of them. You know, not uh, not everyone should desire to be teachers, for they're going to be held to a higher higher account. Right, so <clears throat> we uh, we recognize that there's the work of grace in each and every person. And yes, we are equal in value. And yet there is still structure that is placed there based upon the giftedness by the will of the Holy Spirit that he gives to each and every single believer. And so a lot of um, a lot of our obedience to God is shown in our obedience to the structure that he has designed for us. And that's the same thing in the marriage relationship. You know, I know all three of us have probably done a lot of marriage counseling, and we know that the most successful marriages are the ones where they follow God's design. The male takes uh, takes very seriously his spiritual headship. The wife takes very seriously um, her submission. It doesn't mean that uh, she has to stay silent, that she's always quiet, but that ultimately she understands that uh, the husband is the one that's called before God to make uh, to, to make those final decisions on those most important matters. So yeah, the order, submission, it's all part of God's design. Jesus Christ came, he submitted to um, God the Father. Um, so we see submission even within the uh, triune within the trinitarian godhead right so those relationships are there and those relationships should be with us and we shouldn't view them as simply power grabs now can people abuse that and and take mm -hmm. advantage of that absolutely and uh and, and if that's the case they're gonna have to stand before god and give an account on that uh but those but those of us who are growing in christ and take our walk very seriously and also hold ourselves accountable to our fellow brothers and sisters when we're in sin so yeah. even so even though someone in the church may be called to submit to me 
They have every right to confront me if they see me in sin. They see me doing something that is against God. They have every right to do that. They have every right to follow through the process of church discipline if I refuse to repent, right? So those things are there as well. So it's not a totalitarian system, but it is a recognition and it is respect for the um, structure that God has put in place for our benefit. Yeah, amen. Well, Kyle, we started and you had several different categories. So as we kind of wrap this one up, I, I want to give you free reign to pick one of your last categories. Uh, do, do you have a particular concern for uh, for believers today uh, when we think about what kind of things do, do you feel like we're most susceptible to because of our culture that maybe Christians aren't as aware of as they should be? Uh, and you can kind of end well, us on this last last one. Yeah, I, by God's grace, I've covered all the categories but one. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave with a big one that I think is uh, is one that is a massive influence in our worldview shaping, and that is entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, you know, don't go to movies and and don't watch TV, and then you'll be more holy. Uh, that might be true. Uh, but the reality of it is, is uh, that entertainment can serve the purpose to glorify God, or it can serve the purpose to uh, diminish the truth about God, or even show hatred for God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the very nature of entertainment is to uh, the the base, the root idea is to show hospitality. But when so that's a good thing, uh, showing kindness to strangers and 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 giving them uh, a, a sense of belonging when they're new to a situation. But the way that it's used in our culture today is is on par with amusement. And the idea of amusement is to lead someone astray, is to lead someone towards mm-hmm. the rocks, is to draw them into a slumber so they're not paying mm-hmm. attention. And so it's almost, you know, in the sense, if you've heard the term, the opium of the masses referring to yeah. religion, that's yeah. the that's a major gaslight because yeah. that yeah. is exactly yeah. what the world is doing yeah. is giving us the opium of the masses. It's the bread and circuses of Rome. It's the, let's just entertain them. And as long as they're happy, we can get away with whatever we want. And also it gives them the free, get out of jail free card for having to think critically, for having to analyze their world around them, for having to be ambassadors for Christ. So in my category notes, I was thinking through, you know, we have this biblical command in second Corinthians uh, chapter 10, that says that we are to take every thought captive, that we are to live in a manner uh, that that engages the mind critically, looking for ways the enemy is trying to attack us. As well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 calls us ambassadors for Christ, or uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 and following rather, around 5.19, 5.20, that we are ambassadors for Christ and serving the ministry of reconciliation. And so that doesn't mean... 24 7, 365, you'd better be on or Jesus isn't going to love you. But it means that is our main task. And so if we've spent, if we've turned our main task into being entertained, 50, 60, 80, 100, 200 hours a week are entertainment, and I give one hour to the Lord. Mm-hmm. If an outside observer were watching yeah. you, where would they yeah. say your heart is? Yeah. It's 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 to be entertained. And so when we live in a way that we want to be disconnected from reality. We want to escape into a new reality because we're not content. We're not happy. We don't want to face the difficulties of the task of being an ambassador, of being a, a child of God, of pursuing righteousness, of putting off sin. We can just sort of go into lazy chair, easy mode. Um, and again, 
uh, you know, just like anything else, rest and relaxation are a good thing, but they can be abused to the point of becoming an idol or becoming sin. And so the world will influence us into thinking you, all you need to do is work for 15 to 20 years and then you should be able to retire and enjoy your life and do whatever you want to do. That is the 80s song. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth, right? We'll make heaven a place on earth. We're not investing into eternity. We're looking to make our happiness and joy manifest now. And so if entertainment is in your life being used for that purpose, for escapist reasons, for shaping your happiness reasons, rather than a temporary rest time, you know, enjoying culture, those kind of things, especially things that are not openly and and actively offensive to God. I think we should all put those out of our mind. But these things that we we can analyze worldview, we can look at beauty, we can enjoy the creative side of humanity in a limited scope so that we're still accomplishing our mission of being ambassadors for Christ who are taking every thought captive and not falling victim to the arrows of the enemy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you're talking about that. I'm thinking oh, we got a little bit of lag here. Go ahead, Eki. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Nathaniel. You froze on us for a second. Yeah. So I was thinking of kind of two different things um, while you were talking, Kyle. And one is understanding the, the, the necessity of understanding the difference between good and godly entertainment um, and and what secular entertainment all mm-hmm. often produces. Right. So I think that's one category we probably don't think about. And I, I would imagine the average Christian probably takes in less of the good godly forms of entertainment and probably more of the world's entertainment than, than they ought to. And I, I just want to give a very practical example of, of that that most people probably aren't aware of. So uh, there, the, the college professor who wrote the trans or was a big part of writing the trans manifesto. Um, he he wrote a very popular drag queen book. He dresses like a drag. Not going to tell you the name because he we mm. don't need to promote him. But but there was something very interesting in that manifesto. Um, and and what was interesting was this: the reason that they're coming out with children's books, which are forms of entertainment, the way they are, um, which is turning sexualization into comedy. And they actually talk about this in that manifesto um, is to desensitize children to otherwise um, sexually uncomfortable things to try to make them funny so that it's easier to convince children that trans perversion is okay. Now, I I say that because most I, I think most parents don't realize that's the intentionality behind these books. A lot are waking up to it, but. But here's a manifesto that basically says, hey, we're turning this sexual deviancy into entertainment that's kind of laughable so that we can Mm -hmm. insert secretly something that's very ungodly and wicked. And I think we need to understand that that's the same thought that goes behind a lot of our movies, a lot of other forms of entertainment. And so if we aren't very careful with those things, um, what happens is I think we Christians start feeding themselves with stuff that ultimately is renewing their mind or rather destroying their mind rather than renewing it with godly things. So you think of some of the television shows that I hear. Now, we don't do TV in my house. That's our personal preference. 
Um, it would be good if a lot of Christians destroy their TV with the stuff they watch. But if you hear some of the shows that professing believers watch, you think, my goodness, I, I mean, would you, if the if Jesus in physical form was sitting in your living room, would you watch that trash with him there? Of course you wouldn't. You'd be embarrassed. But yet you watch it, you know, three, four times a week. Um, and there might be more subtle things. And it's not to say we need to throw out all television. I don't think that's true. It's just to say that oftentimes we don't think deeply about what we're taking into our brains and our minds. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between, uh, you know, going to a rock conference uh, concert with guys who were dressed in black with pentagrams and thinking, oh, well, it's just music. It doesn't matter versus going to, a, you know, a nice orchestra that's playing beautiful music. Um, I, I'm not picking on forms of music. It's just to say, I don't know how much we think about what we're taking in when we think of entertainment, right? Yeah. There's a principle in scripture and, and let, let me say this and then talk to that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a principle in scripture. I think it's in Proverbs. It, it says that bad company corrupts good morals. And the principle mm -hmm. behind that is we become like that. We spend most of our time around. And so mm -hmm. if we're filling our mind with television shows, for instance, that constantly berate the husband and, and make the wife appear to be the, the more intelligent, domineering, necessary force in the home, if you're filling your mind with that all the time, you can expect that your, your view of the family is going to diminish in, a, in an opposite direction to, to, to what Scripture says, just as an example. So speak to that, Kyle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Proverbs 1, 8 and following, and then 1 Corinthians 15 speaking about, you know, don't be don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good morals. Good company doesn't change bad morals. That no. it's it's never that way. No. Only the spirit can change bad morals. So what are we what are we imbibing? Uh, and then how is it affecting our worldview? And that goes back to the discussion that nothing is neutral, nothing is amoral. Uh, everything has a worldview and and is pushing something. Now, I, I do believe Christians can, uh, uh, you know, absorb films and things like that that have a philosophical take on the world and be able to analyze that if you can yeah. and compare it to a biblical yeah. worldview and sharpen yeah. your own understanding. Right. I think there's right. wisdom in those things. Owen Strain comes to mind as a guy who reviews films and uh, is really wise in those ways. Not everyone can do that, though. And so you, you need to know kind of who you are and what you can take. But Titus 2 speaks to young men in the church. And after these long lists of older men, older women, younger women, young men, it's like Paul just grabs them by the ears and just says, can you just be sensible? You know, and it sounds funny because it's like, if you can just get young men to do one thing, then you've won. But in reality, what you've, what you were just mentioning is when you sit back and you passively absorb without any sensibility at all what the entertainment is doing to you. You're actually rejecting God's call for your life to have your being sensible literally means keep your wits about you. It literally means be on guard. It's it's first Corinthians 16, 14, be on your guard, uh, stand firm in your faith, be men of courage and be strong. And, and so it's like, keep your wits about, it. don't let anyone fool you and deceive you and just give you these ideas. Like, like they're they're just neutral, they're fine, everything's fine. Let's desexualize, demystify the sexualization of children, and do all these things. It's fine. It's, it's we can laugh about it because if we do that and we don't allow our senses to be kept, our wits to be kept about us, we will continually be pushed to their worldview, whether we see it happening or not. 
And uh, I think ultimately that's kind of the purpose of this podcast is to help people to wake up and see, I don't want to be the pawn in Satan's game being used as a Christian to promote his worldview by being dragged towards it and then justifying it with my thoughts or my actions. Amen. Last thoughts, Eki? Yeah, just uh, leave a couple of scriptures for our listeners to think about. Um, Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Uh, Romans Mm. 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the things that you take in, they have an effect on your mind. And you want to make sure that your mind is being renewed and and continually transformed into the image of uh, what Christ wants us to be. And that can only come by through the scriptures. And of course, I would agree with uh, what you guys are saying and what Kyle said. You know, you can look, you can watch entertainment with a discerning mind and, and kind of analyze things from a philosophical angle. But at the end of the day, don't forget that what truly transforms, it's never going to be the world's entertainment, at least not, not transforming you in a godly direction, but it's going to be the scriptures. Amen. Well, Kyle, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Very good thoughts. I think very helpful. And uh, for you guys listening, you know, as pastors, all of our hearts are ultimately to see you grow in grace and faith and love for Christ and then in holiness. And we we all need each other uh, to do that rightly. So if you're not in a healthy biblical church, get in one and stay there and, and, you know, use your gifts to build up the body of Christ, submit to the elders there. And if you are in it, then just persevere in in these things we've talked about. Uh, We'll put, uh, Kyle, your information in the show notes for your podcast and and things like that. So guys can can hear all your wisdom on your own podcast. So that guys, thank you for joining us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.